Blog Talk Radio. Hello, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to the Faces of TBI podcast series. My name is Amy Zalmer, and I am the founder of Faces of TBI and the host for today's podcast. And the goal of this podcast series is to bring awareness to traumatic brain injury, and it is created by survivors for survivors. Each week, you are going to hear from other survivors, caregivers, medical professionals, and you know anyone else involved in the TBI community in an effort to raise awareness about this invisible injury and also as a way for us to help unite and educate fellow survivors. Those of you who maybe are unfamiliar with who I am, I am a TBI survivor. I fell on a patch of ice and landed on my head, and I am about 23 months out in my recovery. I am a frequent contributor to the Huffington Post, writing mostly about TBI, so be sure, be sure to check me out on Huffington Post. And I also volunteer on the Brain Injury Association of America's Advisory Council. I created facesoftbi.com as a place where you can follow my blog to read more about me and my journey. And it's also a place where you can sign up for my TBI newsletter and to learn about up- upcoming podcasts. And you can also check out my recently released book, Life with a Traumatic Brain Injury, Finding the Road Back to Normal. And you can also follow me on Twitter at Amy Zalmer. And during today's live show, if you have any questions, you can tweet them to me. Again, that's at Amy Zalmer on Twitter. So today's guest, I have Kristen Schreier. And Kristen has been a speech pathologist with Health South Rehabilitation Hospital in New Jersey since 2007. And she received her master's degree from the College of New Jersey and is a certified brain injury specialist and is the hospital's program champion for the brain injury program. In 2016, Kristen became a facilitator to train other healthcare professionals to obtain brain injury specialist certification. She also works with Monmouth University in West Lawn Branch, New Jersey, as an adjunct professor and a clinic supervisor. She is dedicated to educating patients, families, and other clinicians about brain injury diagnosis, recovery, and the necessity of therapy. So, Kristen, welcome to the show. I'm so glad to have you here today. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm very excited to be able to talk to you and talk to anyone else. Yeah, well, great. So, Kristen, can you give us a little bit of background um, on kind of what brought you in your journey to become a brain injury specialist? Well, it's definitely not um, what I thought of that I was going to be working with the most when I first became a speech pathologist. Um, You know, I pictured myself working in a school, you know, working on S's and R a lot, And then I had an externship at a hospital where I got to work with adults for the first time. And I was like, huh, I really actually like this. You know, you get to form bonds and you get to create relationships and you get to help people get back to to work and, you know, back to things that interest them. Um, So that's when I decided I wanted to work with adults. And then my time at HealthSouth, you know, I... um, started out working with inpatients, so people right after coming out of the hospital, they'd come to us. And then I also transitioned with them and worked in outpatient, too. So you really got to see that continuum of care, and you really got to, 
you know, see somebody be successful, you know, weeks, months, even years after too. So it's it's really it really gives me hope to be able to give other people hope. So I think that's that's important. Yeah, absolutely it is. And so how did you kind of come about the brain injury specialist? How did how did that actual title come about? That's actually through the Brain Injury Association of America. Um and we okay. as a as health it's Health South, um we really wanted to show that we could do more for our patients. So it was something that we could get as a certification and then um I wanted to deepen my role within working with my patients. So I kind of took over the program. So that means we constantly mm-hmm. evaluate our program to make sure it's the best for our patients that are currently here with us. And it allows us to also do community events and, you know, get the name out there, but then get just, you know, facts about TBI out there because so many people really don't know what can happen and, you know, really don't even think about preventing either. Um, so through yeah. the Brain Injury Association yeah. of America, uh, with that certification, I then, I just actually became a trainer so that I can train other clinicians um, and other people that work like in our hospital setting to also become certified brain injury specialists so they can continue to help their patients the best they can. That's so awesome. And so I know today you kind of wanted to talk about taking care and giving support to the caregivers. And, you know, I have so many caregivers in my group and, you know, bless their hearts. It is just a really challenging job. And, you know, especially depending on um, how dependent the patient is on their caregiver. And, you know, I think the caregivers can really get burnt out and they can get frustrated and they sometimes almost, become the patient themselves because they burn themselves mm-hmm. out and wear themselves too thin. Right. So, you know, what is what would be your first step for a caregiver? What would you, like, as an over-compassing um, step, what would you say that the caregivers need to do for themselves? I think what they should do at first is they have to kind of, I use the metaphor a lot where you have to kind of picture if you're, in an airplane, and the airplane's going to crash, you put your oxygen mask on first, and then you help right. anyone else who can't do it. <laughs> so you really have to keep that in mind. You know, you, number one, have to take care of yourself, no matter what, you know, however you can do that, because if you're not at your best, or if you're not taking care of yourself, how could you possibly help your loved one? And you're you're not mm-hmm. going to be able to provide the care that you are probably expecting of yourself to provide when you're not at your best. So I think that's you know another a good place to another start. Another metaphor that I had heard too is you can't drink from the cup if it's empty. You know, um, right? Just mm-hmm. a, kind of a similar metaphor, meaning you have to be full in order to to give. Um, so, right. You know. Let's say a caregiver has a fairly dependent, um, you know, spouse or child. Um, what would be a really good thing for them to do if they need some time themselves? Like, what are some options that they can do um, without feeling that they're, you know, abandoning their family member? I think um, it's important to 
find or join a caregiver support group because you find contacts through that and you might find other caregivers that, you know, you might even say, okay, on Tuesdays, you know, I'll kind of ha have an activity, you know, with um, our TBI survivors that need help and then you get, you know, your two to three hours to yourself. Or, you know, it's really good to find that networking. Um, I think mm -hmm. it's definitely important to be able to have a time where you go even to a doctor's appointment for an hour. So I think, you know, we're human. We want to be able to, we expect to be able to take care of our families. And we expect that we can handle everything. But at the end of the day, you can, you are human. You can only handle so much. Um, so it's even important to realize that you have a limit because everybody has a limit. So even just having a contact, if you have the availability, even just getting um, like a, a home health aid to come in for a couple of hours. Mm -hmm. Like just knowing that there's resources out there or options that can help you, you know, for a little bit of time at a time. You know, I recently met um, a mother and daughter. The mother has been the caretaker. Um, the daughter was in a bad car accident when she was 17, and she's now, I think, like 40. So the mother has been her primary caregiver for quite a long time, and the mother is now um, approaching her 70s. And the daughter's pretty high-functioning, but she cannot live on her own. And so, you know, now the mother's having to kind of start making those decisions of where is she going to go. Like, she has to, you know, it's kind of the opposite of, like, a child has to find a nursing home for their parents as they age. It's almost that reverse of the parent now has to look for, like, a group home or somewhere um, for their child to go because they're not going to be able to continue taking care of them. And that cannot right. be an easy thing to do as a parent. So, you know, no, is there anything not at all. that you you have that you can comment on that? I I mean, that's not that's not hard at at any point, definitely. But I think it's really having a talk with yourself and sitting down. And you know, I, again, it's definitely I, I mean, definitely a. Um, I definitely think it's important to have people to talk to about that too. You know, whether it be other family members, a support group, even a, you know, a counselor, you definitely can't make that decision on your own. You definitely want to be able to have an open line of communication with someone. But you really have to mm -hmm. sit down and think what's going to be the best for me and for them, you know, in her situation for my child. Um, and at the end, I mean, it's really... It's a hard decision, but you have to think realistically it's a decision that also has to happen because that's that's going to continue that level of care that you want for your child and or spouse and you want to continue. Mm -hmm. Right. And I just, you know, I can't even imagine what that has to feel like. You know, you've been the caretaker to your child. I mean, their whole life, really, but um, right. as a TBI patient you know, for, gosh, what, 20-some years, um, and now you're aging and, you know, you need help yourself, and I just, it's, it's you know, the perfect storm. Uh, and that's um, just to recognize you know, that you need the help, too. Like, that's... Yes. That's yeah, huge, too. You know, 
I think there are a lot of caregivers out there who really do stretch themselves too thin. Um, you know, maybe they have other family members as well that they have to take care of. And, you know, are you giving everybody the best care that you can be giving them? Um, and like you had mentioned earlier, you know, maybe bringing in a home health aide or, um, um, you know, like there are things such as like adult daycare. Um, right, that's always take- an option. Mm-hmm. And I think, I know we have quite a few of those here in the Twin Cities area, and I think that's a great option. You can drop them off for a couple of hours and, you know, go do things that you need to do to take care of yourself. You know, maybe it's a mani and pedicure or just going shopping by yourself. You know, we all just <laughs> need our own our own alone time. Um, and it, exactly. it's really good for, for your family member as well to go to that daycare for a few hours and, um, interact with other people, you know. <laughs> they probably get mm-hmm. to be in with you all the time too. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> um, you know, and then there's a lot of debate about support groups and whether, um, you know, I hear people who say it's great when both the caregiver um, and the patient go to a support group together, and then I also hear, you know, it's nice for them to be in their own separate groups. Um, right. So what is your opinion on that? I like the ones that actually do have everyone together at first and then break up uh-huh. because I think, yeah. um, you know, especially like the the survivors um, might not want to say everything in front of their caregiver or vice versa. So I think it's yeah. important to at first together hear what has to happen, but then I think it's important that everyone has their separate time with, with those going through the same kind of thing that they're going through. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I I recently met a couple. Um, they were a younger couple, probably in their twenties. They're engaged, and she had just taken a fall um, off a bike, and she didn't have a helmet on. And um, you know, they thought she was fine. And then, as a couple of days went by, her her boss actually realized, uh, I don't think you're okay. <laughs> took her to the emergency mm. room, and you know, it turned out she had a pretty severe concussion and. And this has been six months now, and he expressed how he is getting frustrated. He's like, I'm trying my best. He's like, but I'm just not understanding why she's not getting better. And, you know, like, I make lists for her, but then she forgets to take the list with her. And, you know, it's Mm. really interesting to hear his perspective. And then, you know, of course, we all gave our perspective to him, um, which is really great for him because he's like, oh, wow, I didn't realize this could take, you know, two years, whatever it might be. Um, And so that, you know, is really good for him to hear that. So I do think having, especially in the beginning, having them together is a really great idea because then, you know, as a caregiver, you nobody can understand what you are going through unless they've been through it because, I mean, TBI is just, I mean, I never would have understood what somebody else is going through. I mean, I would have had empathy for him, but having gone through this, it's just like, you know, one of the, it's just one of those things that you just can't truly put into words for someone else to understand. So being able to have them both in a support group, 
um, and having other survivors there to get, offer their input to the caregiver. And other caregivers can offer their input to the caregiver. Um, right. So I really like that idea of having them together. But then I do think, like, you, you have a really great point. There are things that they might not want to say in front of their caregiver or vice versa. <laughs> Definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know... <laughs> It is good. I, you know, it's probably great to have both groups available to be able to go to. Um, and, and in your um, notes that you had sent me, you also kind of talked about having a normal schedule or a routine. And mm-hmm. I think that's, that's particularly important to a TBI person. We appreciate routine and having a schedule because, you know, we do have trouble remembering things and um, right. we have cognitive issues. So, you know, why don't you elaborate on that a little bit further? And I think that's important for everyone involved, too. Um, so if you're, you know, let's say you live alone and you have a mild TBI, but you're noticing, you know, trouble tracking or, you know, with your memory, you get to the store and you're like, what did I come here for? So we almost have to, we definitely have to use strategies to help ourselves. Um, So in terms of, like, memory and tracking and planning, the best thing is really to have a set schedule or a set routine. Um, And if it's somebody um, who had a little bit more of a a severe brain injury, um, that routine helps improve over time because the routine helps with your um, long-term memory and that repetition. You know, you know what to expect. So you're actually going to notice less agitation and behaviors if um, that is an issue, because that routine kind of keeps you calm because you know, okay, I just did this and then I have that. So I'll always tell people, even just write it out too. Um, and, you know, as you go through something, you check it off because, okay, that's done, on to the next thing. Yes. But if you're a yes. caregiver and, and it's a family, and if you, let's say you're caring for your spouse and you have younger kids that also have a schedule, it's a lot on you to keep track of, the younger kids' schedules with sports and academics and the doctor's appointments. So it's definitely helpful to keep yourself organized so you feel more in control of things, too. Mm-hmm. Um, you kind of brought something up that um, kind of jogged something for me about behavioral issues. Um, right. You know, th- it's extremely common with brain injuries. You know, you can get behavioral issues in multiple different ways, but I know a really common one is anger. And people can no longer control that impulse. And, Mm -hmm. you know, they can have temper tantrums and just, you know, rage and just lots of anger and depression. Um, And that itself has got to be incredibly challenging on a caregiver. Um, And I know you kind of alluded to, like, counseling and meeting with a therapist and, you know, what are some ways that you would suggest getting through some of these behavioral issues between a care I mean, I, and, their, and, I their, and the patient? Think, oh, I do think um, counseling is something that it really is important if, if you're noticing, um, especially personality changes in your family member too because it's, you know, that's something that's going to affect your whole family dynamic. Um, so I think individual counseling for, for everyone, but then also either family counseling or marital counseling as well. So I think counseling is definitely something, because that's, you know, it's going to 
bring an outside kind of look into what potentially might be some of the behavioral triggers too. And once you find out what triggers some of the agitation and anger, you can kind of work toward decreasing it. Um, I think, I know in our facilities, we do behavioral plans. So it's, you know, you identify that something triggers a behavior and then you work toward thwarting it and, you know, deflating the situation. Mm -hmm. Um, But really, um, it's really like a lot of times behaviors might be brought on, like you said, you know, we can't control them. Um, but sometimes they're brought right. on the impulse control because you gone. can't control. <laughs> right, you can't control what's happening in your body, but you know what? You can control the behavior. Um, so really, you know, sometimes even if the lights are too bright or the sounds are too much, you know, that might trigger something. So kind of coming into mm-hmm. a situation and environment, knowing that okay, before anything happens, let's lower the lights. You know, let's turn on the more soothing music at a lower volume and not have the heavy death metal. So it's kind of working with the environment and the triggers too. Yeah, you know, and and stimulation. I know even for me, um, like just yesterday we went out to dinner and there was just the music all of a sudden just got super loud. And mm-hmm. me and my friend who also has the TBI, we were both just like, okay, we're done. Like, <laughs> we're, yeah. it's done. It's over. We either have to leave or they have to turn the music down. Um, and then, you know, um, the the sound of the, the metal ice scooper hitting the ice. And for whatever oh. reason, that it was just a sound that was just, it was actually triggering both of us, which I found interesting. Um, but, you know, just... I have to be really aware of do I want to spend my energy by going out with friends tonight because Mm -hmm. I know that that means tomorrow I'm going to be exhausted all day. And so really, you know, choosing as a caregiver, you know, being able to understand, um, okay, if we go out to dinner at Applebee's tonight and it's probably going to be loud and there's going to be music and there's going to be light, um, you know, maybe that's not the best environment for them. Maybe we're better off staying home and ordering pizza, you know. I mean, it's just little things like that that can just make such a huge difference. And I like what you said about um, uh, eliminating things that you know are triggers for their behavior. That was that was very insightful. I hadn't even really thought about that. And that does I think take a little bit more our own planning, coping. too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and, and we kind of learn our own coping mechanisms for different things, whether it's memory or whatnot. And I, I'm, I'm assuming the caregiver, too, learns coping mechanisms on how to deal with the patient. Would you right. kind of agree with that? Yeah. Definitely. And you know what? I think... Sometimes it does take trial and error. So you go through one day, you know, trialing this and hopefully it works. You know, you go through one day trialing having a written schedule. But you know what, maybe by noon nobody's looking at it. So, you know, why go through the effort for the rest of the day if it's not being used? So the next day, maybe instead of a written schedule, you just try to do something verbal. So it's almost like seeing what works for your dynamic and then what doesn't. Yeah, I like that. I like that trial and error. Um, 
you know, I kind of going back to that couple I was talking about earlier, um, she had been going to all her doctor's appointments by herself. And I was in a very similar situation in the beginning. Um, she'd come home and he'd be like, so what did the doctor say? And she's like, well, he said this. Well, that's it? Well, I don't remember. <laughs> and that's exactly mm-hmm. what I went through. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't even remember what the doctor told me. Um, and so, you know, I told him, I'm like, because I kind of looked at him like, you've never gone with her to the doctor? <laughs> like, well, right. no, it hadn't occurred to me. <laughs> and I'm like, you need uh-huh. to go with her because, one, you can tell the doctor, you know what, this isn't normal for her. <laughs> like, she's doing this right. or that and, or this is bothering her. And then you can also be hearing what the doctor's saying. So I think it's really important. Um, you know, I think there are probably caregivers who take – their, their their patient to the doctor, but don't go in with them. Um, and so I think it's really important for everybody to be in that loop of what's going on with the patient. Yeah, you know, like I wished I'd have had somebody to take with me. I really didn't have anyone to go with me. Um, so here, this girl just the has more ears you have. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. if you have someone. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> But even that, well, you know, that could both. be, oh, go on. Oh, I was going to say that's a positive for um, even one of the support groups because, you know, if you don't have anyone to go with you to a doctor's appointment, if you found someone um, who would be willing and had like a confidant in that kind mm-hmm. of way, that's excellent. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, Kristen, we have about five minutes left of the show um, and I want to make sure I cover, was there um, anything in particular that you definitely wanted to talk about? I just had, um, there's some things kind of that, that at all? Oh, there's some things that came up just in terms of, you know, as a family dynamic, um, you know, because really everyone involved is affected. And um, a common diagnosis for not just the survivor but everyone is actually post-traumatic stress disorder and so it's important Mm -hmm. to recognize that you don't have to be the one that goes through the brain injury to be experiencing some of the symptoms so even just to Mm -hmm. know some of the the number like the top symptoms are anxiety uh, loss of feeling and distancing aggression within yourself decreased memory and concentration symptoms of depression or rage, um, substance abuse, suicidal ideations, or, or insomnia. And, you know, it, that, that can happen to anyone involved because everyone's lives are changed and the situation, you know, is not what you're, you're thinking was going to happen. So really anyone is susceptible. Um, and if you think you have any of those, that's important to let your primary doctor know um, and, you know, talk to someone about it too. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm glad you brought up the PTSD. And um, I just was interviewing someone the other day, and um, she she is the survivor. She was hit by a car on her bike when she was in college back in the 80s when we didn't wear helmets. <laughs> and mm-hmm. she had a TBI. <laughs> and then in her 20s, she was training for a triathlon and, again, got hit by a car on her bike. This time she did have a helmet. Um, but she has this deep fear of her children riding their bikes. And, uh, you know, I just, you know, it's it's PTSD is what it is mm-hmm. and how that's now, she's like, I'm doing my best 
not to make my children scared of riding a bike, you know. And um, her accident occurred the first week she was away at college, and now her child is going to go off to college next year. So, I mean, it really, it can manifest itself decades later. Um, At any time, Where, you know, 20 years later, she's now facing my kids going off to college, oh, my gosh, that's when I had my accident, you know. So it's really important for the whole family to understand stuff like that and how to deal with it. Mm-hmm. We always yeah. say that education so, is key, definitely. Absolutely. The more you know. <laughs> exactly. Good old NBC with the more you know thing. Yeah, Yeah. I, I couldn't remember where that came from. I knew it was TV, but there you go. Thank you. <laughs> Well, Kristen, we are just about out of time, and I just want to thank you so much for taking the time to be here today. I think this is a topic um, that's very much needed in the community. So I just really thank you for being here. And, again, this link will stay there um, for the replay of anyone that wants to listen to this again or share it. um, This link will be here. So thank you, Kristen, for being here. Thank you for having me. Absolutely, and I'm sure we will chat again. And thank okay. you, everyone, for listening. Um, I hope that you have enjoyed the show, and be sure to tune in again tomorrow at 2 o'clock or 3 Eastern. Um, I will be talking with Dr. Sandeep Vashnavi, and we're going to be talking about the basics of traumatic brain injury. So thanks again, everyone, for listening. Uh, Be sure to visit facesoftbi.com to listen to previous podcasts and also to see the upcoming schedule of podcasts that we have coming up. And while you are there, be sure to also sign up for my TBI newsletter to stay in the know of what's going on in the world of TBI. So thank you, everyone, for listening. Thank you for being a part of my journey. And I will see you all again tomorrow. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.